The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Okay, we're in Psalm 41. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he will be blessed on the earth. You will not divert him to the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. You will sustain him on his sickbed. I said, Lord, be merciful to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. My enemies speak evil of me. When will he die and his name perish? And if he comes to see me, he speaks lies. His heart gathers iniquity to itself. When he goes out, he tells it. All who hate me whisper together against me. Against me, they devise my hurt. An evil disease, they say, clings to him. And now that he lies down, he will rise up no more. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be merciful to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you are well pleased with me, because my enemy does not triumph over me. As for me, you uphold me in my integrity and set me before your face forever." Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. We're in Joshua 10. We're going to finish up the chapter. It's a lot of verses, but we'll get through them. It's verses 28 through 43. On that day, oh, this is entitled, So Joshua Conquered All the Land. On that day, Joshua took Makeda and struck it and its king with the edge of the sword he utterly destroyed them. All the people who were in it, he let none remain. He also did to the kings of Makedah as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua passed from Makedah and all Israel with him to Livna, and they fought against Livna. And the Lord also delivered it and its king into the hand of Israel. He struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword. He let none remain in it, but did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua passed from Livna, and all Israel with him to Lachish. And they encamped against it and fought against it. And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel, who took it on the second day and struck it, and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, according to all that he had done to Livna. Then Horam, king of Gezer, came up to help Lachish, and Joshua struck him and his people, until he left him none remaining. From Lachish, Joshua passed to Eglon and all Israel with him, and they encamped against it and fought against it. They took it on that day and struck it with the edge of the sword. All the people who were in it, he utterly destroyed that day, according to all that he had done to Lachish. So Joshua went up from Eglon and all Israel with him to Hebron, and they fought against it, and they took it and struck it with the edge of the sword, its king, all its cities, and all the people who were in it. He left none remaining according to all that he had done to Eglon, but utterly destroyed it and all the people who were in it. Then Joshua returned, and all Israel with him to Debir, and they fought against it. 
and he took it, and its king, and all its cities. They struck them with the edge of the sword, and utterly destroyed all the people who were in it. He left none remaining, as he had done to Hebron. So he did to Debir and its king, as he had done also to Livna and its king. So Joshua conquered all the land, the mountain country, and the south, and the lowland, and the wilderness slopes, and all their kings. He left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed, as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. And Joshua conquered them from Kadesh Barnea, as far as Gaza, and all the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon. All these kings and their land Joshua took at one time, because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned, and all Israel with him, to the camp at Gilgal. As we read through the Bible, it's hard to keep track of everything going on. There are so many names of people and places, so many repetitions and variations on things that it gets overwhelming at times. People will ask me about something I have preached or taught on, and I will say, Oh man, I don't remember. I'll have to go back and read my notes. That usually results in the look that says, I must not know what I'm talking about, or a direct accusation maybe from somebody that would say that to me. <laughs> Try memorizing 30,000 pages of notes with some things that are so complex that they took hours of study to figure out. It's not possible. For example, the book of Acts is 28 chapters long. The morning I typed this sermon, which was about 10 weeks ago, I posted a commentary on Acts 10, verse 23. So we're not halfway through the book. And yet that was page 792 in my ongoing commentary. Right now I'm up to almost page 1000 and I'm still in Acts chapter 12. When someone gives me the look as if I don't know what I'm talking about, it's pretty certain that that person has overstated my abilities to write things down so that I don't have to remember them. There is no other way to handle the load. Our text verse comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. For this sermon alone, I referred to many, many previous sermons to make sure I was following the typology consistently, even though I wonder what I may have missed or erred in. But one thing I know, even if I am wrong about a point, it is not the word's fault. Listen to what the pulpit commentary says about a part of our passage today. They say, in spite of the alleged carelessness of our compiler, meaning the person who compiled the book of Joshua, who is credited with having put together shreds of various narratives in the most perfunctory manner, he takes care to add, Joshua 16.10, that the inhabitants of Gezer were not driven out. In like manner, with the single exception of Hebron, the people of which must have at once chosen another king, he carefully omits the mention of the king in the cities which had lost their kings in the battle before Gibeon. Thus, a careful examination of the narrative puts the care and accuracy of the history very carefully before us. In other words, where people are alleging that the Bible is haphazardly put together and forms its own internal errors and contradictions, just the opposite is true. The word is precise perfectly detailed and minutely exacting in its presentation. The only reason why we might suppose there is an error is because we have failed to fully check things out. Yes, it can be tiresome and tedious, 
but it will also be rewarding. Be sure that if this is God's word, and it is, then he has carefully set things in his word with purpose and intent, which prove it to be his word. That truth continues to be seen and expanded upon in today's passage. Great things are to be found in his superior word. And so, let us turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I've got two thoughts for you today. The first is long. It is, then Joshua returned. It's verses 28 through 43. Verse 28, on that day, Joshua took Makedah. Ve'et Makedah lachad Yehoshua bayom ha'hu. And Makedah took Joshua in the day the it. The meaning seems clear. The battle described in the previous verses included the defeat of Makeda. The first hint of this was seen in verse 10. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beit Horon, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Makeda. Then in verse 16, it noted that the five kings had fled and hidden themselves in a cave in Makeda. Having the kings pinned down in Makeda implies control over the area. And finally, in verse 21, it said, And all the people returned to the camp to Joshua at Makeda in peace. This again implies total control over the area. It is true that the term Bayom Hahu, in the day, the it, can mean a general period of time. That is seen, for example, in Deuteronomy. Same words, and I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they have done, in that they have turned to other gods, and that obviously implies a time period. However, it seems that we are being told that Makedah was totally subdued during the single day of fighting recorded earlier. As a reminder, Makedah means place of shepherds. The city will fall within Judah's inheritance, but will never be mentioned again after Joshua chapter 15. Verse 28 continues, and struck it, and its king with the edge of the sword, and struck her to mouth sword and her king. It is referring to the entire city. She was as a mother to the people with a king reigning in her, but both were consumed. Essentially, the same thought will be seen four times in this passage. As for the destruction, it next more fully is described as, verse 28 continues, he utterly destroyed them. All the people who are in it. Hecherim otam ve'et nafesh asher ba. He anathematized them and every the soul who in her. It refers to the city, the king, and all of the people. Unlike Jericho, which was noted as being totally anathematized, and unlike I, which had exceptions for the booty, nothing is said either way here as to what was the case with Makedah. As for I, it said... For Joshua did not draw back his hand, with which he stretched out the spear, until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as booty for themselves, according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. As Jericho was the initial city, and as a type of first fruits to the Lord, my speculation is that the livestock and the booty of Makedah would have been spared, but the account completely skips over that, noting only the total destruction of the city, her king, and her people. Verse 28 continues, he let none remain. It is a noun, not a verb. Lo hishir sarid. No, he left survivor. 
This phrase will also be mentioned four times in this passage. The words are more fully explained by what is said later in verse 40. So Joshua conquered all the land, the mountain country, and the south, and the lowland, and the wilderness slopes, and all their kings. He left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed, as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. Saying, but utterly destroyed all that breathed, does not necessarily mean the animals too. It is certain that this at least refers to the people. Further, the spoil of these five cities is probably included in the words of chapter 11, where it says, and all the spoil of these cities and the livestock, the children of Israel took as booty for themselves, but they struck every man with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them, and they left none breathing. It is probable that the spoil was taken, but the point of my focus on the detail is to note that the destruction of the cities and their people is what is being highlighted. The command was set forth in Deuteronomy to destroy every person, and Joshua is now fulfilling it. Verse 28 continues, he also did to the king of Makedah as he had done to the king of Jericho. What happened to the king of Jericho was not explicitly stated. Rather, in chapter 6, all it said was, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. From there, it notes this in chapter 8. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you, and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. And then from Joshua 8:29, And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until evening. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his corpse down from the tree, cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city, and raise over it a great heap of stones that remains to this day. As such, it can be speculated that something similar was done to the king of Jericho, even though that was never recorded in the details of chapter 6. Such details, or the lack thereof, really helped to reveal the typology being conveyed in each account. Verse 29, Then Joshua passed from Makedah, and all Israel with him to Livna, and they fought against Livna. The translation is off a bit. More precisely, it reads, And crossed over Joshua, and all Israel with him, from Makedah to Livna, and he fought with Livna. He, being singular, the subject is probably Joshua, or it may be speaking of Israel as a whole, as if a single man is fighting. As for the term all Israel, it simply means all Israel in the battle who fought with him. The city is in a westerly direction from Makedah. Livna means whiteness. However, that comes from lavan, a verb meaning to make white or make bricks, because bricks whiten when they are made. As for the city itself, it was near Makeda. It will be granted to the inheritance of Judah, as is recorded in Joshua 15. From there, it is noted as being designated a priestly city in Joshua 21 verse 13. The city will revolt from Judah, as is recorded in 2 Kings 8.22, probably because the king was a wicked man. However, Makedah appears to have returned to Judah later. The city will be noted even until the time of the exile of the people to Babylon. Scrap that, take the word Makedah out, and put in Livna. I'm speaking about Livna, and I typed in Makedah there, and I'm sorry about that. Okay, so, verse 30. And the Lord also delivered it and its king into the hand of Israel. And he struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword. 
He let none remain in it, but he did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. Here, Joshua is left out of the verse. He was noted in the previous verse involving this battle, but now the subject is Israel. This is certainly revealing the united nature of Joshua and Israel acting as one in order to defeat these foes. As mentioned earlier, city is a feminine noun, hence translating it as her gives the biblical sense of what is being said. This continues all the way through Revelation, where Mystery Babylon is spoken of as a woman. Hence, just for the typological clarity, this verse would more appropriately read, and gave Jehovah also her in hand Israel and her king. And he struck her to mouth sword. And every the soul who in her know he left in her survivor and did to her king according to which had done to King Jericho. To get the sense of this, the words of Isaiah when speaking of Zion might help. Referring to Zion in the feminine, it says, then you will say in your heart, who has begotten these for me since I have lost my children and am desolate, a captive and wandering to and fro? And who has brought these up? There I was left alone. But these, where were they? She was a mother bereaved of children. In these battles in Joshua, the same is true. The mother was struck and her children as well. However, in the case of a city like Livna, the mother continues with new children when Israel takes the cities and fills them with people, using the same name as she previously had. And more, the king of Livna is noted, like the king of Makedah, as receiving the same treatment as the king of Jericho. Verse 31, Then Joshua passed from Livna, and all Israel with him to Lachish, and they encamped against her and fought against it. Again, it reads in the singular, and crossed over Joshua, and all Israel with him from Livna to Lachish, and he encamped against her and fought against her. Signifying it in the singular, it is either referring to Joshua or to Israel as a unified whole. The movement is in a southwesterly direction. Lachish means obstinate. It could also mean invincible or impregnable. Despite such a decisive name, it could not withstand Joshua because, verse 32, and the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel, who took it on the second day and struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, according to all that he had done to Livna. Again, I would render it, and gave Jehovah Lachish in hand Israel, and he took her in the day, the second, and struck her to mouth sword and every the soul who in her, according to all that had done to Livna. The fact that the second day is noted shows that the city was well defended, and it gives understanding to the name it was given. This is also confirmed in reading the accounts in 2 Kings 18 and 19, and also in 2 Chronicles 32, and also in Jeremiah 34. A second possibility for the words, though, is that the city fell on the next day after Livna fell but that seems less likely. Rather, it is more likely a note concerning Lachish being a strong fortress it took two days to defeat. Like the previous two verses, it mentions Joshua and all Israel. And then it notes that Jehovah delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel. The united nature of Joshua and Israel is again highlighted. Also, this battle does not say that they also killed its king. Rather, the king of Lachish was killed in verse 1026. It may be that no king was appointed to replace him before this battle occurred. 
Next, despite the fact that Lachish was overthrown, the battle involved more. Verse 33, then Horam, king of Gezer, came up to help Lachish. Rather than then, as if it happens next, it says, Az Allah Horam Melech Gezer Lazor et Lachish. At that time, ascended Horam, king Gezer, to help Lachish. It was while the battle was being waged that he came up to assist. This may help explain the fact that it took two days rather than one to defeat Lachish. Not only was it fortified, but Israel had to deal with another army joining in the battle against them. The name Horam means mountainous or mountaineer. Of this, Abarim says, the noun Har is the Bible's common word for mountain or hill. Intuition dictates that the root of the word for mountain probably has to do with being elevated. But that's not correct. In Hebrew thought, a mountain is not something that's high, but rather a lot of something gathered. And so a mountain became synonymous for a large but centralized group of people. You can go to Jeremiah 51 to see that, or even God's Isaiah 14 to see that. The name Gezer comes from the verb gazar, to cut or to divide. And it is identical with the noun Gezer, a part or a portion. Hence, it means part or portion. Despite the assistance on the part of Gezer, it was a futile effort. Verse 33 continues, And Joshua struck him and his people until he left him none remaining. Rather, like before, it is not an adjective, but a noun. Adbilti hishir lo sarid, until none he left to him survivor. Here again, we see the united nature of Joshua and Israel. Joshua is said to have struck him, killing all in the process. Next, verse 34, from Lachish, Joshua passed to Eglon and all Israel with them, and they encamped against it, and fought against it. Literally rendered, it says, and crossed over Joshua, and all Israel with him from Lachish to Eglon, and they camped against her, and they fought against her. Notice how it says they instead of he. In verse 29, it said in the singular that he fought against Livna. The same is the case in verses 30, 31, 32, and 33. The direction is now eastward from Lachish to Eglon. Eglon means heifer-like. It can also mean calf place or fine bull calf. But I've underlined the word that I identify as the closest. Verse 35, they took it on that day and struck it with the edge of the sword. All the people who were in it, he utterly destroyed that day according to all that he had done to Lachish. Notice the change from the plural to the singular. And they took it in the day the it, and they struck her to mouth sword. And every soul that in her, in the day, the, that, he anathematized, according to all that he had done to Lachish. This is the second city where it does not say that they also killed its king. Rather, the king of Eglon was killed in verse 1026. Again, it may be that no king was appointed to replace him before this battle occurred. The account is being precise and very detailed. With the destruction of Eglon, it next says, verse 36, so Joshua went up from Eglon and all Israel with him to Hebron, and they fought against it. More literally, and ascended Joshua and all Israel with him from Eglon to Hebron, and they fought against her. The detail of the geography is exacting. While in the plain, it said they crossed over from place to place. Here it says they ascended because it is in the hilly region. Once there, it says, verse 37, and they took it and struck it with the edge of the sword, its king, all its cities, and all the people who were in it. 
This leaves the narrative with a difficulty, but not one that is beyond a moment of thought. It says, and they took her and struck her to Malsord and her king and all her cities and every the soul in her. The difficulty is, how can he have killed the king of Hebron if he had already been killed in verse 1026? The answer is that this is either including him in the totality of the campaign against Hebron, or more likely, a new king, such as the son of the king, rose to lead the city. This is just what is seen constantly in the books of Kings and Chronicles. Of this battle, verse 37 continues, he left none remaining, according to all that he had done to Eglon, but he utterly destroyed it and all the people who were in it. This introduces another difficulty. It reads, No, he left survivor according to all that he had done to Eglon, and he anathematized her, and every the soul who in her. The difficulty supposedly arises from what it says elsewhere, such as in Judges 1, 8 through 10. Now the children of Judah fought against Jerusalem and took it. They struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. And afterward, the children of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who dwelt in the mountains, in the south, and in the lowland. Then Judah went against the Canaanites who dwelt in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba. And they killed Sheshai, Ahiman, and Tamai. The question is, why is it necessary to go after Hebron if it was destroyed already? There are two options. The first is that the battles being described here are over a long period and encompass the whole time of battles while subduing the land. In other words, this is a summary of what is more explicitly detailed. Or it could be the cities were destroyed and then rebuilt. If one notices how quickly cities are rebuilt after any recent war, it suddenly becomes no problem at all. People move back into an area that was destroyed and reestablish it. Unless Joshua set up a garrison in every city that was attacked and destroyed, there would eventually be cities that were re-inhabited and re-fortified. I'll stop there and I'll tell you that I was looking at some before and after pictures of the Ukraine. This has been going on less than a year. They went in there and they destroyed one city. There was rubble completely covering the streets. You couldn't even see where the streets were. They went and about three or four weeks later, it looked like a city again. People have the ability to regather and rebuild very quickly. So I have no problem with this narrative. With that, it next notes, verse 38, then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to Debir and they fought against it. More precisely, it reads, and returned Joshua and all Israel with him to Debir and he fought against it. Debir means place of the word. It can also mean the writer, oracle, or something like that. Saying Joshua returned probably indicates that this was a city that lay in the direction of Gilgal. As they were heading back to that area, Debir was along the route, and the city was taken and destroyed. This location is noted in Joshua 15.15 as being previously called Kiriath Sefer, city of books, or city of scribes. It is also known in Joshua 15.48 as Kiriath Sana, which may mean city of learning. As for the city, it says, verse 39, and he took it and its king and all its cities. They struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed all the people who were in it. Again, to be consistent, I would translate this as, and he took her and her king and all her cities and they struck them to mouth sword and anathematized every soul who in her. Notice the change from the singular, he, to the plural, they, as the words progress. 
And again, it says, verse 39 continues, he left none remaining. As he had done to Hebron, so he did to Debir and its king, as he had done also to Livna and its king. More literally, no, he left survivor according to that he had done to Hebron, so he did to Debir and her king. And according to that, he had done to Livna and her king. The change back to the singular is either focusing on Joshua or the collective of Israel. As the next words refer to Joshua, it is probably the former. Verse 40, so Joshua conquered all the land, and struck Joshua all the land. This is obviously not the entire land of Canaan, but it comprises what is next stated. Verse 40 continues, the mountain country and the south and the lowland and the wilderness slopes and all their kings. More literally, the mountain and the Negev, meaning the south, and the Shefla, meaning lowland, and the slopes and all their kings. Each city that was faced in whatever type of terrain they were located was defeated by Joshua. And more. Verse 40 continues. He left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed. Lohishir Sarid ve'et kalhan shama hecherim. No, he left survivor and each the breath he anathematized. This is exactly in accord with Deuteronomy 20, where this command was given using the same word, neshama, or breath. Deuteronomy 20, 16 and 17, but of the cities of these peoples, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive, but you shall utterly destroy them. Verse 40 continues, as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. It is true that Jehovah gave commands concerning the destruction of those in Canaan, but the only time the word neshama or breath is used in this context is from Moses' hand. Hence, this gives another clear evidence of the divine inspiration of Moses' words in the book of Deuteronomy. Exactly as the Lord God inspired Moses to write, so Joshua fulfilled, and more. Verse 41, and Joshua conquered them from Kadesh Barnea, as far as Gaza, and all the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon. It reads, and struck them, Joshua, from Kadesh Barnea, and until Gaza, and all country Goshen, and until Gibeon. The location of each of these, except Goshen, is known. There are various opinions on where Goshen is, but the point is that the named locations form the borders of Joshua's conquests. Kadesh Barnea means either sacred desert of wandering or maybe in the active sense, which is what I agree with, holy purifying wanderings. Gaza or Aza means strong. Goshen means drawing near or approaching. And Gibeon means hill town or hilly. Verse 42, all these kings in their land, Joshua took at one time. Ve'et kal ha-melachim ha-ele ve'et artsam lachad Yehoshua pa'am echat. And all the kings, thee, these, and their land took Joshua stroke one. It was one sweeping engagement that brought down city after city along with their kings, exactly as they were instructed to do in the law. So he did. Verse 42 continues, because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Joshua's conquests are explicitly stated to have been successful because Jehovah, God of Israel, was the one who fought for Israel. With that noted, verse 43 finishes with, then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. After the campaign was complete, this final note is given. The camp had remained at the Gilgal 
And Joshua with his warriors returned there, having done exactly as the law commanded and in accord with the presence of the Lord who fought for them. Anybody see Jesus in this? Every foe is defeated throughout the land. Every king has been slain that waged war against us. This, the result of the power of God's right hand. Yes, it is all accomplished by the Lord Jesus. That which stood against us is defeated. That which was contrary to us is no more. The source of its power has been unseated, and it shall be this way now and forevermore. Jesus has gained the victory. In him, the battle has been won for us. Look at the deeds of the Lord. Open your eyes and see. Look at the glorious work of our Lord Jesus. Our second thought today is pictures of Christ. The passage began with the defeat of Makedah, or place of shepherds, which Joshua is said to have taken. A place of shepherds speaks of those who tend to flocks. They can either be good shepherds or they can be bad shepherds. The latter are found repeatedly in Ezekiel 34. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep, and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. For I will deliver my flock from their mouths, that they may no longer be food for them. It noted that both Makedah and her king were slain with the edge of the sword. Saying with the edge of the sword should make us think with the law. The word for sword and the word for Horeb, where the law was received, are both comprised of the same three Hebrew letters. These were anathematized. It also showed that what occurred to the king of Jericho also happened to the king of Makedah. Remembering that Jericho, or place of fragrance, is a type of paradise will help to understand the typology. From the passage, it is to be understood that he also was hung from a tree. The king of paradise became a curse for us so that we might receive the blessing of Abraham through faith. Likewise, Jesus the shepherd became a curse for us so that we could be included in his flock. This same typology has been seen in the previous kings who were each a type of Christ in their deaths. In this, Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. From Makedah, the account went next to Joshua, passing from Makedah to Livna, or whiteness. Following the use of the root of this word, even since the early Genesis account where the people made Lavan, or bricks, to build the Tower of Babel, it is consistently always pictured works-based salvation. In verses 29 and 30, the battle against Livna is described, revealing that it was struck along with its king. Again, it notes what had been done to the king of Jericho. This then anticipates the work of Christ being the only suitable works before God. His righteousness, based on his works, is imputed to us through his death. The Gospel of John especially speaks of the work of Christ. But I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. As for those who believe, our works are summed up by him also, saying, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. From Livna, the narrative moved to Lachish, or obstinate. Again, the city is taken and anathematized. This time, however, the text does not say that the king was given the treatment of the king of Jericho. It typologically looks to the battle that was won by the Lord, defeating the obstinate nature in those who come to him. Where believers once rejected him, they now accept him. 
At that time, however, it told us that Horam, king of Gezer, came to help Lachish. This is an obvious picture. Horam signifies mountaineer. Abarim gave us the idea of that signifying a large but centralized group of people. This extends to the idea of a government in the Bible. He was described as having come from Gezer, meaning to cut or divide into parts, hence part or portion. It is typical of all who are centralized against the gospel, attempting to divide the Lord's people. This would be those who join with the obstinate, trying to divide through the government of the law. One can either have a part in Jesus' grace, or he will have his portion under the law. Of them, it said that Joshua struck him until there was no survivor. In the end, there will only be those left who receive the grace. After this, Joshua passed on to Eglon. That was verse 34. If you remember from the previous two sermons, Eglon was typical of Israel's apostasy with the golden calf. It was seen in this section that the pronouns went from he to they. We won't address every instance of this because there are way too many after I address it now, but you should get the point. This is the work of Christ, and then there is the needed obedience of those to the work of Christ, who is the true Israel. People being responsible for their own actions when committing idolatry appears to be the point of the pronoun changes. However, the final pronouns reverted to the singular. He anathematized according to all that he had done to Lachish. Like with Lachish, no note concerning the king being treated in the same manner as the king of Jericho was given. It typologically looks to the battle that was won by the Lord, defeating the idolatrous nature in those who come to him. Where believers once followed whatever idol was before them, they now follow Jesus. After that, Joshua went up from Eglon to Hebron, or Alliance. Hebron in the last sermons was given to reveal the alliance between Israel and the Lord at the giving of the law. That was never intended to be a permanent state. Rather, it was a temporary dispensation, as Paul says, such as in Galatians 3. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. The final pronouns of this battle were in the singular as well. Christ is the one who has defeated the law. The alliance was made with Israel by fulfilling it. In this, he anathematized it. That is perfectly expressed in Paul's words of Galatians chapter 1. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Greek anathema, anathematized. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. From there, it says that Joshua returned and all Israel with him to Debir. The meaning is the place of the word, meaning an oracle. Jesus is the oracle. He is the spot from where the word issues from because he is the embodiment of the law. And it is he who died in fulfillment of it as well. Interestingly, verse 39 said that he did to Debir and its king as he had done also to Livna and its king. The words then skip over the previous four battles, Hevron, Eglon, and Gezer, and Lachish, 
to identify with the king of Livna, who is in turn identified with the king of Jericho. It again speaks of the substitutionary nature of Christ's work for us, becoming a curse so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That's Galatians 3. This cannot come through the law, except as the law is fulfilled through Christ. And the law is only fulfilled through Christ, who died on a tree in fulfillment of it. The lesson is brought back to us again and again to understand that there is nothing, nothing we can do to merit salvation except to trust in Christ's work. Verse 40 then revealed the scope of the victory, saying, all the land, and then describing it. It noted that he left no survivor, and every person that had breath was anathematized. It then ended with, as Jehovah God of Israel had commanded. Jesus completely and entirely fulfilled every word that was given to him to fulfill. He destroyed every obstacle that stood against his people. Every vestige of that which stands against God's people is removed in him. With that scene, verse 41 mentioned the four areas that comprise the scope of Joshua's conquest. Kadesh Barnea, the holy purifying wanderings of Israel under the law. Gaza, the strength of sin, which is the law. Goshen, the approaching of God's grace in Christ. And Gibeon, the termination of the law at the knoll where Christ was judged and in him was judged sin. Gabbatha. In verse 42, it said that Joshua took all of these kings and their land in one stroke. This is exactly, exactly what Jesus Christ did. He engaged the enemy and he defeated him in one stroke at the cross of Calvary. What is seen here is a snapshot of the trek from law to grace. As it says, Joshua, think of Jesus, took all of these in one stroke because Jehovah, God of Israel, fought for Israel. As it says in Romans chapter 8, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What God did for Israel through Joshua is what Jesus has done for all who are his. It is his victory, not ours. And it is in his deeds, not ours, that the victory is secured. In that, the verses ended with, then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. It is a beautiful ending. Jesus and all of Israel returned to the camp at the liberty. Jesus placed himself under the bondage of the law in order to redeem Israel from the law and to provide them with the liberty that was lost in Eden. And for any who come to him, Jew or Gentile, they become a part of the commonwealth of Israel. The story is magnificent, and it is another of the many repetitions of the same theme that God keeps, keeps revealing to us in his word. Man under law is condemned. Christ came under the law to make it possible for us to be free. What is it that we can give God that will earn our salvation? Think it through. This is what every single religion, every single one of them, or supposed point of righteousness that man conjures up in his mind expresses. It is what we can do to restore ourselves to God. Every one of them. You'll not find one that doesn't do that. Only in Christ do we find what God has done to restore us to him. Give up on self. It's a dead-end street. Look to Christ and his cross where peace 
and reconciliation are found. This is what I would ask you to do, and so I would ask you to do so today. We don't know the end of our life. We don't know what's coming, and I would just plead with you. I'm especially speaking to the people online. I have pretty much confidence that most people in here have heard the gospel at least twice in this church. So I just want to make sure that anybody that's online right now or that clicks onto the sermon someday understands that we have been given this same typology so many times since Genesis 1 verse 1 that I don't know how somebody can't get it. And it's explicitly stated again and again and again in the New Testament. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. And believing, what is that? It's not some difficult thing. It means I know that God did something and I'm going to accept that. Christ died for my sins. Christ was buried. Christ rose again. That is the gospel. You can't add to it without doing damage to the gospel. And you can't take away from it with it being the gospel. There's one message of salvation and it's that God loves us. Imagine that enough to do what he did. It's incomprehensible, and it gets more so every day when I look at what's going on in the world. What's going on, I'm thinking, how could he care about beings that are doing the things that we're doing right now in this world? How can it even be possible? And yet he does. So I would ask you to give yourself wholly and unreservedly to the gospel of grace by believing that simple message and then pursuing Jesus all the days of your life. Please do that. Next week is... Joshua 11, 1 through 15, for the battle, many men left home. It's entitled, The Waters of Merom. That'll be our 23rd Joshua sermon. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It is he, he who has defeated the enemy and who now offers his people rest. So follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay, good stuff. I got a question. I told you you've been salivating looking at this apple butter. <laughs> Straight from my friends in Ohio. This is not going to be difficult, so I want you to raise... Uh, no, I'm, I'm serious. Uh-huh. I am serious. You're I want you to raise your hand, okay? And if the first hand that goes up, better answer this question, but that's who I'm going to call. I've made this easy enough where at least two people will get this. <laughs> what is the name of the owner, and there are two possible names, of the owner of the threshing floor bought by David. Raise your hand. Hedico. No. Ornan. That's one of the two names. The other one, and I'll give you a special bonus. I'll let you fly in this uh, YF-22. It's the same letters, basically, in Hebrew. It's Arauna. Arauna and Ornan. Here. Happy for, don't you must take it. I I I said this to Rhoda last week. She won the contest and then she, look, he really wants that. She was like, I want somebody else to have this. And I said, then you're gonna have to find somebody else to give that to. I am not taking anything that you win back. You must find somebody if you don't want to, but Sergio will not let you give that away. I can see that right now. Very good. Very good. She I, it's gonna be hard to beat her. I gotta tell you, she, this girl knows her Bible. The questions that I get sometimes, very infrequently, but once in a while I'll get this question and I have to sit down and research. She is very, very well versed in this book. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's tradition. Her family's been a Christian tradition going back probably to the time of Christ, literally. I mean, it's just unbelievable. So praise God for that. Okay, so Joshua conquered all the land. On that day, Joshua took Makedah and struck it and its king with the edge of the sword. 
He utterly destroyed them, all the people who were in it. He left none remain according to the word of the Lord. He also did to the king of Makeda, so we know, as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua passed from Makeda and all Israel with him to Livna because things were going well. And they fought against Livna. And the Lord also delivered it and its king into the hand of Israel. He struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, a mighty blow. He let none remain in it. No one split, but did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua passed from Livna and all Israel with him to Lachish. They went and they encamped against it and fought against it. They fought and did not relent. And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel, who took it on the second day and struck it. And all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, according to all that he had done to Livna, not giving in a bit. Then Horam, king of Gezer, came up to help Lachish, thinking the victory he was gaining. And Joshua struck him and his people until he left him none remaining. From Lachish, Joshua passed to Eglon and all Israel with him. And they encamped against it and fought against it for Eglon. Things were looking grim. They took it on that day and struck it with the edge of the sword, wiping out every one. All the people who were in it, he utterly destroyed that day, according to all that he, to Lachish, had done. So Joshua went up from Eglon and all Israel with him to Hebron, a mighty horde. And they fought against it and they took it and struck it with the edge of the sword. Its king, all its cities and all the people who were in it, he left none remaining. He kept on and didn't quit. According to all that he had done to Eglon, he utterly destroyed it and all the people who were in it. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to Debir, and they fought against it. Surely Debir was floored. Then he took it and its king and all its cities. They struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed all the people who were in it. He left none remaining as he had to Hebron done. So he did to Debir and its king as he had done also to Livna and its king until the battle was won. So Joshua conquered all the land, the mountain country in the south as well, and the lowland and the wilderness slopes and all their kings, sending them straight to, oh, do tell. There were none remaining as the situation demanded. Joshua utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. And Joshua conquered them from Kadesh Barnea, rolling on and on as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon. All these kings in their land, Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Time for a break and relaxing as well. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true, and we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Wonderful stuff. What wonderful stuff. Wow. This is amazing. I, I, until now, my favorite passage in Joshua was Joshua 1 um, and ch first chapter. And now this has become my favorite oh. passage in Joshua. This is unbelievable. Wow. And maybe I, it's so so cool to us because we've been to uh, Libna oh, yeah. and a video about it in that area. And as we were saying all these things, it's just, just coming wow. alive. Yeah, I even, I, I even have these uh, to show. This is the Libna oh, wow. where, where 
where Joshua basically came and conquered. This is the Libna Hill. And then you're saying this, and you're saying in one stroke he came and he conquered and God fought for them. And I'm thinking, this place, it's it's not easy to conquer. Impregnable, it, it is, seems. It's impregnable. It's on top of the hill, and they build them, the Canaanites build those cities on top of the hills because it's harder for enemies to come to them sure. and attack. And so it's really difficult to attack, and yet God fought for them, and he conquered these hills. And then... I look at the location of all this, and I know they're all very close to each other. All these Debir, um, Lachish, and uh, Libna, they're all close to each other. But I look at the map, this is the Lachish still, they're all close to each other. And I'm realizing what you said last week. They're coming from Jordan River, Hermon to the Dead Sea, how it resembles Christ, and Yardan is the descender, represents Christ. And they're coming from, crossing the Jordan River, coming from Gilgal, which is that area and they're conquering the land from this direction as well which is what happens even today in topology uh, geographically jordan river gives life to the whole land so the land is parched without jordan river it would be complete death so mm-hmm. that it just all fits into the picture that's why i'm so excited that's why my favorite passage now it's all it just kind of just comes com- alive. comes alive completes everything Unbelievable. And it, it is so so cool and then also from the top of the hill right there uh you can see in the distance this is where also Prophet Micah is from, right there next to it, um, Moreshet Gath. Right. And from the top of the hill, you can see the hills of Jerusalem, if you look on a clear day. And you can see Bethlehem, Bethlehem. for where... Where he prophesied. Yeah. This Jesus is where is the coming. Savior is coming yeah. from. Yeah. Is, wow. Just... <laughs> now, can the people online see yeah, that? Yeah, they can good. see it okay. all this, yeah. All right, good. Yeah. Heavenly Father, how good it is to share in your word and to know that you have complete control over all things, taking real men in a real battle for land that you promised to their ancestors and turning it into wonderful pictures of the glory and the victory of Jesus. How amazing. How good you are to us to let us see these things and to be reassured in our walk before you that we are on the right path, the Jesus path. Thank you for this, and we love you and we praise you. We commit this Lord's Supper to you, and we do so in his beautiful name. Amen. Hopefully all that talking of mine helped people online to prepare in some time. Um, and uh, now we can get right into it. Wow, and no, I'm just thinking about this and starting to look into 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm thinking of all this and thinking, wow, how knowing this and learning this gives it even more meaning and even more depth to what we're about to um, um, take. Uh, it's, it's amazing. You just think the land of the word becomes the land of the word. And it's just... Unbelievable. The land of the Lord becomes the land of the Lord. Or, wow.